0: And then you combine that with the stimulus checks that started to flow in April. You've also got tax refunds flowing in around the same time. You've got super cheap gas at the pump. So you have this odd but temporary phenomenon where unemployed consumers are actually possibly seeing more cash come in the door than they've ever seen before. And that's, you know, we know about the U.S. consumers. They're not all that good at holding on to their money.
1: From our remote offices in the New York tri-state area, welcome to No More, Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. For this episode of our podcast, we present an excerpt from our weekly wrap with Aaron Lyons, our co-head of investment grade research and U.S. investment grade strategist as host, and James Goldstein, our senior retail analyst as guest. If you are an investment professional that touches the wide universe of fixed income, you will want to give us a listen. We are living a surreal life right now, but our team of nearly 100 analysts continues to publish content to our more than 15,000 readers across global credit markets. Please enjoy the weekly wrap with Aaron Lyons and James Goldstein.
2: I'm excited to have James join us today. James, thanks for joining us.
1: Sure, thanks for having me.
2: You have the very fun job of covering retailers across high yield and IG credits right now. I, I know that's keeping you very busy. And I have to say that I'm a little sad about all these stores filing for bankruptcy. You know, they kind of read like a story of my life. J.C. JCPenney is where we got school uniforms when I was a kid. Then J.Crew was high school and college. Pier 1 is I got my first apartment and then minimal dabbling at Neiman, but you know that's also a name that filed recently. I was wondering if we could start with the macro environment, and we all know things are bad and spending is down. I know personally all our spending is either at Amazon Target or on groceries. Can you fill us in on which categories are being hit harder than others?
0: Sure, so we've had a lot of, of, of data coming in recent recently, we, ranging from we had April retail sales last week, then we had a big wave of, of retailers report earnings this week. So we have a little bit more insight than, than we've had on kind of the anecdotal level that, of course, like you said, everyone feels like they're spending all their money on groceries. And that's supported by the data. So things that are doing well, pretty much anything you can eat, right? And anything you can use to make things that you can eat. So food, uh, beverage, obviously all doing really well, but also things like you know, small kitchen electrics, cookware, people buying ex- extra freezers, anything for the home office. So computers, monitors, peripherals, office furniture. Actually, people are just broadly, kind of spending a lot of money on furniture, even at least at least where it's available through e-commerce channels. Then you have kind of what i have what I call the distractions categories: video games and game consoles are actually selling really well. Things like Legos, board games, bikes, backyard play equipment for people who are lucky enough to actually have a backyard, which I'm very jealous of, send their kids out there and you know spend some time. So you know these are these are areas that are still holding up quite well other areas you know home improvement so we had home people on Lowe's, both report this week and they're seeing really strong demand in home improvement you know especially the DIY categories holding in very strong but even some of the professional demand there is also pretty good for especially for for projects outside of the home so You know, at this point, or, you know, nobody wants a contractor coming into their house, everyone's still a little bit, you know, health wary, but things like exterior painting, landscaping, things like that, all really strong. Whereas interior projects like flooring and carpets and kitchen renovations, not, not doing, not doing so hot at the moment, but overall, you know, the strength in the DIY categories is enough to, to. To boost demand in home improvement quite quite health quite quite a bit and then on the other end of the spectrum you've got uh, apparel and footwear is probably the the poster child for for pain here basically if it's not loungewear or if it's not athleisure it's not selling so target you know had huge consumables growth in the quarter but their apparel demand was down 20 percent other things that are doing poorly kind of your discretionary consumer electronics things like cell phones cameras home theater but that's been weak. We had Best Buy reporting that yesterday that, you know, those categories are, are doing doing poorly. And then we're just also hearing some interesting things from retailers on the way that demand patterns changed over March and April and into May. So mid-March it was just kind of a, a hoarding frenzy, right? You had, you know, double strong, double digit growth in grocery and drugstore categories. And these are categories that, you know, in a good year, grocery demand, a strong grocery demand number might be, you know, three, four percent. That would be really strong. And, you know, you had you just had massive growth that, that the industry has, hasn't seen for you know forever, essentially. And then you had this kind of early April lull, which we think was a bit of destocking activity by consumers, right? Your new freezer can only hold so many hot pockets before you have to start eating them. And I think people realized that and, and started to, you know, kind of, you know, on on, on a, almost like a consumer working capital basis, you kind of pare down some of the things that they had, that they had bought uh, in that after that big surge. And then you have a lot of retailers calling out mid-April has another turning point so you had this you know in this tight period from from kind of March to to early May you had a lot of different changes in the way people were spending and mid-April, I think, you know, the stimulus checks started to flow in, into people's bank accounts and we, and and, consumer, and retailers talked about consumers kind of finding a way to splurge a bit on more discretionary goods. And then just, you know, the way that consumers are spending, obviously massive growth in digital spending, you know, Target saw digital growth up nearly 300% in April. They said pretty much every day in April was like Cyber Monday in terms of demand that they were seeing and fulfilling through through e-commerce. Even a name like Macy's is seeing like 80% digital growth in May. But for those names, you know, a name like Macy's is just not enough to offset the weakness that they've had in their store, you know, from their closed store base.
2: Thanks. As you're talking through those, I'm trying to think in my head, like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Definitely groceries. Definitely, you know, I don't think my kids have worn shoes in (laughs) weeks. Um, So I understand the footwear problem. So what what are the projections saying on how bad this demand could get? And what are people baking in for estimates of when things could recover?
0: One way we like to look at it is if you kind of look upstream from the retailers, if you look at the apparel suppliers like VF Corp, you know, big, big apparel manufacturer, they're talking about global second quarter demand being down about 50%. And that's not really surprising given how much excess inventory there is in the system right now, but they're also talking about holiday shipment indications still being down about 20 to 30%. So it's not, it's not just a situation where the, all the inventories can get cleared out in the second quarter. I mean, they're talking about, you know, kind of long-term pain in in the sector. But I'd say that, you know the truth is kind of nobody knows at this point, right? We've we've never had an economy collapse this fast. We've never had people's movement into stores and into workplaces restric- restricted like this. Um, and I think one of the things we like to think about is you know right now we're kind of in a weird spot as 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 consumer economy, right? You've got massive unemployment, but on average across the unemployed population. Between unemployment and the expanded weekly benefits, you're actually seeing almost full coverage of, you know, on average, of people's existing pre-COVID wages. At the low end of the way of the spectrum, you're actually making more money than you than you did when you had, you know, before you were laid off. You know, if 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 you're kind of at the lower minimum en, minimum wage end of the spectrum, and then you combine that with the stimulus checks that started to flow in April, you've also got tax refunds flowing in around the same time. You got super cheap gas at the pump, so you have this odd but temporary phenomenon where unemployed consumers are actually possibly seeing more cash come in the door than they've ever seen before. And that's, you know, we know about the U.S. consumers are not all that good at holding on to their money. So I think there's there's kind of this broad perception that these layoffs, you know, are temporary and, you know, the, the workers are always just described as furloughed. But if you look at the projections for unemployment, obviously, you know, that doesn't quite compute, right? The, the idea is not it'll be nice, certainly, if, you know, the, the, lights, the light switch was flipped back on, you know, in May and June and everyone got their jobs back, but that doesn't seem like it's actually going to happen. So I think that's that's kind of a big concern for us. It's like, kind of like, to paraphrase that Queen song, you know, is this real life or is this just fantasy? And, you know, we don't know if consumers right now are operating uh, under this temporary condition. And I think we're going to need more than a week or two of this, you know, partial reopening to see what kind of happens when the training wheels come off uh, to get to the right answers here.
2: Right. And it feels like this shutdown has been long enough for people to somewhat question their spending habits before this, like, do you really need to go out as often as you did previously? And speaking to our consumer goods analyst, James Dunn, you know, he thinks that, as I mentioned, the initial stocking wave has passed, that demand for these core IG brands that he covers will continue to be strong as people are shifting their behavior to spend more time at home, even when the lockdowns lift. Are you thinking about what longer-term shifts you could see in the retail space in terms of consumer behavior?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, Jim and I talk about this a lot, and and I, I you know, I, we, I think we fully agree on that point. There, I think when we came when we came into this early on, we got some pushbacks from clients who said, "Yeah, this is, you know, this grocery-driven demand is just a blip. It's going to reverse in a month or two. But our view is that this does kind of have a, a long-term shift in consumer behavior. If you look back to the Great Financial Crisis. You had a perceptible shift towards food, food at home spending. So people said, Hey, I'm looking to economize. I'm not gonna eat in restaurants. So I'm gonna shift, you know, a couple percentage points of my spending into the grocery channel rather than than the the restaurant channel. And it took some time for that to recover. Now you're layering this kind of unusual scenario where you have health concerns about eating in a crowded restaurant. And kind of the unappetizing prospects of you know being served your meal by a waiter in a in a hazmat suit, which is you know I think just pretty unusual for the consumer, and I think that's gonna that's gonna push the you know the the, the spending in, in in the food at home channels deeper for, for a longer period of, of of time than some people might might be expecting. I think otherwise you know in terms of in terms of consumers kind of changing views, obviously you have you know health consciousness. So if you think about CVS and Walgreens. Of the world you think about vaccinations for example right so you've got this you know you know we, we expect like the common flu vaccine demand is going to be through the roof this fall people are you know not going to people are going to want to know that they you know if they have the sniffle, it's, it's just you know it's not the flu it's you know it's not it's not it's not the COVID. so you you know i think it's that's going to push people and you know into into some of the healthcare channels but you also have this strange thing happening where people have been afraid to visit their doctors, you know, right now if they're not being treated for covid, everyone's just kind of trying to stay away. So you had CVS and and, and Walgreens to a certain extent talking about that is that, you know, people people have kind of in some ways, you know, held, out, held off on healthcare. They kind of hoarded some some prescription drugs, but mostly they haven't been seeing their doctors. So you you have a lot of volatility in in the space because of that. I think the other big shift obviously is going to be, you know, even further acceleration in e-commerce. So if you look at like the the drive-up pickup model, right, which is relatively new for, for, for retail. The idea is that, you know, you place an order you drive to the parking lot of your, your local target or Walmart and someone you open the trunk and someone puts it in and you drive away that that's as a service, you know, target in April saw a thousand percent growth in, in drive up pickup and they don't even have a way right now to do fresh and frozen groceries through drive and pickup. They only, they're only doing, you know, kind of shelf stable products and other, other target goods, but nothing fresh. And it's interesting, you know, you see a lot of talk about robotic fulfillment for grocers and warehouses, But a lot of these retailers kind of just threw the manpower at at the problem and ended up, you know, with a better outcome in the short term. But I think, you know, longer term, this means more investment in e-commerce, more more omni-channel, you know, potentially potentially re-examining the size of the store base. And that's, you know, where we kind of look at the well-capitalized names that can differentiate themselves from the kind of the weak players who are trying to wring every dollar, last dollar out of their business. You know, if you have... If you have the dollars to spend on these on these projects going forward, you know, you're you're gonna be in a better spot than you are in some of these, you know, really economically challenged names.
2: So how are you thinking about the the subsectors? I know you write a lot about department stores and that's where we've seen a lot of pressure because you mentioned kind of healthcare and CVS. What are you thinking about some of these other subsectors?
0: Yeah, I mean I think that the names we worry about are, are the names that came into this with kind of a pre existing condition, if you'll if you'll pardon the phrase. So I mean if you came into this with your business model questioned, you know, if you look at department stores, you had the the question of relevance and, and kind of this long battle to, to remain relevant and get traffic to your stores and it was not a battle that, that was being well, well, won, I'd say, you know, at, you know, at, at the best you're, you're managing to you know have kind of small declines in traffic, but over time, you know, the, the department store model has become less relevant to in the U S in, in the U S economy, specialty apparel as well. You know, kind of a very crowded space. And those are the those are the areas that, you know, obviously we very hard hit by, by the shutdowns. And that's, you know, that, that's kind of an area where, where, where we're still, you know, we're, we're still very concerned. You know, if you start to look at the results, I mean, one of the issues in the short term is you have, now you kind of have unprecedented inventory dislocations, you know, in these, in these names. So there's gonna be a really long slog ahead to, to kind of match inventory to demand. And even if you figure out your own inventory situation, if you're doing better than average, as long as there are players out there who are who are liquidating goods and who are really looking to to you know to push a promotion environment, it's going to be tough to make money. So th- you know those are those are kind of our our, our areas where we're, where we're most concerned. Things that hold up well, as I said, we think grocery holds up well. We think a name like Dollar General does well, which is you know really kind of a grocer in disguise. About 70% of their sales come from food and consumables. Obviously, the cater to the kind of lower income customer. And you, you potentially, you know, in, in a in a deep recession, you have some potential that people, you know, kind of shift out of more expensive channels and, and try to economize by by moving to the dollar share channel. So that, that can be favorable in a recession. We still like Target. But, you know, we think Target is is doing well. And we like it for the spread pickup relative to Walmart. And we think there's operating momentum there, even though the, in the first quarter, you would operate, was, was a little unfortunate. But we think they, they've certainly proven that the kind of their, you know, their, their omni-channel model works, that the demand is there. They just need to you know, kind of balance out the um, some of the margin issues. We are still pretty optimistic on the retail pharmacy in this environment. And we like, you know, Walgreens relative to to CVS. You get some spread pickup there. And we got cautiously optimistic on Best Buy this morning after yesterday's earnings. I think, you know, of the other names we like, it's probably one of the most, one of the more discretionary leading items, names. And <clears throat> it has a little, you know, that those are some elements that make us a little bit nervous. But we think it's actually an extended cycle ahead in terms of, you know, your home office, tech, work from home, and as you said earlier, you know, remote learning tech for, for kids is going to be is going to be a big issue. And, and and they've been a beneficiary of that. And we expect that to be a little bit more formalized as the you know kind of next school year starts. So I think the spending environment around, you know, Best Buy, the kind of things that they're selling there can be can be quite positive.
2: Thanks. And so you also cover high yield credits. And that's where a lot of your attention has been lately. And I, as the IG person, can argue that it's really just been these bankruptcies have been a high yield problem. The IG retail index is pretty concentrated. The top 10 issuers account for 75% of the face value and the largest names there are like a Walmart, Home Depot, Amazon, Lowe's, Target, Kroger. It's pretty stable things. Are there any takeaways you have for IG clients from those bankruptcies and anything we should be looking at?
0: Yeah, I think if you look uh, among those names you mentioned, I mean, uh, you know, the big names in the index, you know, those are mostly essential retail. And for the most part, it's, you know, Walmart, Target, Lowe's, Home Depot's, Walgreens are, you know, they're seeing relatively healthy demand. The one place that we kind of, you know, if you look at the earnings that that just came through, one one place we saw an issue this quarter is kind of the, the product's mix shift. So Target is a good example here. Target's of, you know, really strong, really strong sales growth. But the things that people wanted to buy skewed sales towards really low margin goods. So Target is happy to sell you a gallon of milk, you know, or a bottle of bleach, but they really want you to come in and, 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 and buy, like private label apparel, something like that, you know, private label home decor, and that's, and that wasn't selling. So you saw, you know, you saw a large amount of margin, margin compression here, you know, these businesses, you know, these kind of consumables businesses don't have a lot of margin to give. So I think that, you know, that that's, that's an issue that we're, that we're kind of keeping an eye on. It's kind of interesting for, for grocery stores, because actually we think the opposite effect can come into play. So some of the big demand surge, you know, that you saw from from the stock up was in center store goods. So it's your shelf stable items like pasta, canned canned goods, packaged foods, uh, and that's actually a higher margin category for grocers. So grocers may actually benefit from this. Um, and then you had, the, you know, the, the channel shift issue, which is, you know, these big essential retailers usually have fairly low online penetration, right? So you know, high single digits might be good penetration for a name like, you know, Target or, or, or Home Depot. And then out of nowhere, you have this massive surge in e-commerce because no one wants to come to your store and put themselves at risk. So you have to, you know, the retailers are paying to ship ship goods that they would normally have sold in the store. And a lot of times, you're you know, you're paying to ship, you know, some pretty heavy, low-margin goods. So you know, a giant box of paper towels that only cost twenty dollars probably costs twelve dollars to ship that kind of that kind of thing, or you know, a big box laundry of, detergent. You know, yeah, exactly. laundry detergent. Exactly right. So mm-hmm. it costs you know twelve dollars, but it weighs. 10 pounds. I mean, mean, there's not, there's just not a lot of margin to to be covered, you know, once, once you pay to ship that. So we think that's, that's kind of a margin challenge, you know, in this period. So as I said earlier, you know, retailers did a nice job of mitigating some of that with things like curbside pickup. So they don't, they don't pay to ship at all. And you get your pickup in two hours and instead of, instead of two days and everyone's happy. And then, you know, ship from store, making use of store inventories, you know, reducing shipping to the last mile or so. So that's been, that's been somewhat favorable, but I think, you know, these are, these are, these are the, the trends that we're seeing. You know, through the past quarter that that the retailers kind of have to kind of have to nail down and say, yeah, the demand is there, but how do we, you know, how do we make money doing this? And you had this, you know, everyone wanted to grow e-commerce and then it, then it kind of happened all at once. Um, and they're trying to figure out how to, how to monetize that best.
2: Thanks. So I know you just are working through earnings season. You've had a lot of the big IG companies already report what are the management teams in, saying in terms of the rest of the year and are they discussing problems with supply chain or how are they adapting and changing staff or are they laying people off I guess what's just the tone from the management teams right now
0: yeah i mean i think i mean i think they're in, they're sort of in the same boat that, that we're all in and that you know we don't exactly know what's coming next i think as i said it's kind of an un, 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 uncharted waters in terms of in terms of demand i mean the supply chain question is interesting because if you roll back the clock to january or february you know, the big concern was are chinese factories going to get back online obviously they were they were hit first on the on the covid impact and are we going to have enough you know are we going to be able to get enough goods here to meet the typical us demand for clothing and shoes and tvs and cell phones and all the things that you know that, that are highly exposed to chinese production and then obviously the you know the virus came to the us shores and we realized that it wasn't just a, a china problem I think it's kind of important to differentiate between the supply chains, right? So, for instance, in, you know, the food and consumables and grocery sector, I mean, will lump in Walmart here because it's the largest seller of groceries in the U.S. That's largely sourced from North America. And we've definitely seen some supply chain constraints there and some concerns. The most obvious one is, you know, kind of on the meat meat suppliers, eggs, some dairy, so you've got those these bottlenecks in the processing plants as, as people get sick, farmers are euthanizing animals because they can't give them to consumers, and if you look in the meat case of your you know your supermarket or your Costco, there, there's a lot of empty spaces, and we're starting to see that impact come through in some some in some food inflation, you know, so grocers are are passing on some of the higher costs through higher starting prices. But they're also saying, and we're seeing this a lot, is that, you know, hey, there's not enough steak to go around. You know, there's no way I'm going to put that on sale. I don't need to be promotional, you know, to sell these products anymore. So potentially, you know, you get some inflation coming through that way. On the question of staffing, you know, we're sort of all over the place. You've got essential retail, again, the Target, Walmart, Grocers, Amazon. They're all scrambling to add staff to meet added demand, and they're paying, you know, extra hourly bonuses to workers, you know, extra $2 an hour for your hourly wage. In a lot of cases, they're letting, at risk workers stay at home. They're providing daycare. So employees can with kids can still come kids home from school can still come to work. They're hiring extra staff just to clean and clean the stores and wipe everything down. And that's at a real cost. So, you know, Walmart, for example, called out $900 million in the first quarter of extra costs associated with kind of labor and 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 you know and these efforts. And remember, that's only that that's a trend that only started mid-quarter. It's not even a full quarter impact. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got your non-essential retailers, department stores, apparel stores, really still in, in very heavy furlough mode. And a lot of these names furloughed 80 to 85 percent of their store staff at the peak. You only provided a couple of weeks of pay and some extended benefits. Um, and that's starting to come back. You're starting to see some of the stores come back online. But, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of two different worlds in terms of, you know, the, the guys who are the essential versus non-essential. So that's been, you know, a variable cost savings. It was, you know, in a way to help them preserve cash. But I think you do also have some attrition risk here. So some of your better employees, you know, they may have taken one of those hundreds of thousands of new 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 jobs created at, you know, at at Walmart or Amazon. And you might have some friction when it comes back to reopening the stores and having to train your your staff, you know, train new staff. So that's just an added challenge that that, that might be might be an issue for the for the okay. retailers.
2: Added cost. And I just yeah. wanted to point out on the food inflation, our chart of the day today is a fun one because it's Memorial Day weekend. But we looked at our Memorial Day barbecue basket, which we publish every year to see how the cost of those foods that you would buy for that picnic have increased. And we found that across all the categories, the food inflation is up, you know, it's eight to ten percent across categories. So definitely we're seeing it. So the details are in that chart of the day. Just a couple more questions, James, and and then you know I have let everyone get on with their weekend but one of the questions that came in is for retail names like Macy's and Nordstrom what kind of levers can they pull on the balance sheet to get them through the next 6 to 12 months until things open up yeah i think
0: i mean yeah you know, one of the things that we're seeing what we're seeing is you know kind of looking at the uh, looking at the the what the what assets these retailers have, and you're seeing a lot of them move to you know to 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 raise incremental funding, obviously, and you know at the, at the weaker names they've they've had to do it or they've tended to do it through uh, secured issuance. So Nordstrom as an example. You know was previously a, a fully unsecured structure, and they went ahead and said, okay, we're we're going to raise we're going to raise money, but we're going to you know we're going to use. Uh, real estate collateral to, you know, to, to, to help do that and, and, you know, kind of bridge some of the operating cash. Macy's, you know, has kind of been out there in the market. Rumor's been out there in the market that they're looking to do the same thing. They haven't, they haven't pulled the trigger on it yet. It's taking them quite a bit longer than, than other names, you know, in the sector to, to get that done, which is a little bit surprising. But I think, you know, that that's been one. That's been one tool that that retailers are looking to use. And it kind of differentiates, you know, to a certain extent, you know, your your, your retailers with the known asset base versus your your lease heavy retailers. So if you're if you're like an L brands, you know, some of these guys who are really or, or or you know who are really heavy on leased stores, they don't have as quite as many levers to pull. So that's you know, I think that's one area that we that we were seeing um, in terms of in terms of you know ability to to raise some incremental cash. And then obviously just, you know, kind of wholesale across the board. Cost cutting is, is is the big the big theme. You know the, the question of you know what's variable versus what's what's fixed in terms of in terms of the co- operating cost base. You know you you got retailers trying to 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 stop spending money on wherever they can, including in some you know pretty unusual areas like saying we're not going to pay rent. You know Gap I think is an an example uh, of a name there just saying you know we think that you know they have a they have a view that they have a legal basis to not pay rent because the stores are you know uh, not able to be opened and. Landlords certainly don't agree with that view, so you know I think that's that's kind of where it starts to get interesting as you have some of these uh, these, these situations. Is you know, retailers really looking hard to, to to save cash and and being somewhat controversial in the ways that they're going about doing it.
2: Thanks. And so, last question: Are there any misconceptions about IG retailers that you want to highlight? And conversely, do you think there's anything IG investors aren't paying enough attention to in the retail space?
0: I think. I mean, I think one of the as we as we sort of start to, to see some 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 data come through from, from earnings, you know, to pay attention. I, where you want to pay attention? I think working capital is a really important place to pay attention. So you had some of these some of these names report. You have a like Coles, for example, come through and report a, a figure and you know cash burn and, and and you look at the balance sheet and you say, oh, that's not not terrible. But I think there's a lot of stuff kind of hidden in the working capital movement. So Coles, you know, one of the moves that Coles did to kind of preserve cash was, you know. Go to their vendors and say, "Hey, we're not going to pay you. You know, normally we pay you on 45 or 60 day terms. We're not going to pay you. We're going to pay you on 100 day terms or 120 day terms, and you know, really stretch that out. And that works in the short term, but obviously the vendors, you know, aren't going to accept that forever. And that's, you know, that's not the way that the the industry has traditionally worked. So, you know, obviously within retail, you know, vendors are are, are super important. You know, you've seen lots of retail bankruptcies in the past triggered by by vendors just saying, hey, I'm I feel exposed here. I don't want to ship you any goods. And that's a really fast downward spiral. I've seen that in, you know, Toys R Us, JC Penny, you know, historically, you know, that that's that's a real challenging area. So I think, you know, looking at working capital, looking at, you know, looking at the looking at liquidity, but saying, you know, how do they get to this cash number? You know, is this is this a real number or is this just something that's gonna that's gonna reverse in, in the next quarter? When the vendors come knocking on the door and say, "Okay, enough is enough. It's time to it's time to pay the bills." Uh, same thing with the landlords. You know, the landlords. You know, so far, you know, maybe have have, have gone the full legal route in terms of in terms of enforcing leases, but but they will, I think, eventually. I don't think you know the landlords are going to just keep on accepting you know, non-payment of rent. So I think that's 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 really an important area. I think to to, to focus, uh, and that you know, that extends. You know, obviously, it's it's most important in the in the high yield names where it, you know you're you're kind of on the. You know at, at the precipice in terms of some of these situations but as you as you've seen you know names in retail can go from high from ig to, to high yield quite quickly you look at macy's has you know gone you know three three or four three notches of 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 downgrades since since march at some of the agencies so you know those, those things change very quickly and i think that's you know looking at how that looking at how they're making cash on the balance sheet work it's really important
2: great well james thank you so much for joining us today i really appreciate all the insights on the retail sector. I always find retail is a fun one because everyone can relate to it. So thank you for joining.
1: You've just listened to an excerpt from our weekly wrap, which is available to our subscribers. So thank you, Aaron Lyons and James Goldstein for the presentation. And thank you listeners. As always, you can find our research on our website, creditsites.com. Or if you are not a subscriber, please contact us at sales at creditsites.com. Credit Sites Disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or produced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information complained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. Receipt by the listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.